Father, thank you so much for this day that we look back, as we should every day, at what you lovingly did in sending your Son, who willingly came and lived a perfect life, who was delivered up uh, by the hands of godless men through your predetermined plan, who suffered and bore our sins on the cross, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. Father, thank you that in Christ alone is the forgiveness of sins. I pray as we look into your word that if there's anyone listening who truly does not know you, Lord, that may even think they know you, but they don't, that today would be the day of salvation. And Lord, for those of us who have had our eyes opened and by your grace believed and trusted in your son Jesus, may we leave after hearing your word with a renewed sense of awe and wonder and worship for your son Jesus. So Lord, as we come to your word, I pray you'd bless it in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, during this time that we have where we're all isolated and so many people are worried about what might happen if they get this virus, what will happen? Uh, We hear of people passing away, horrible thing, death is a horrible thing. And within the world, there are basically two types of people. There are people who have a genuine hope for what will truly happen after one passes away, and those who have no hope. The Apostle Paul, when he was addressing the Thessalonian church who, was, who were anxiously awaiting Christ's return, made it clear that believers do not grieve for their loved ones in Christ like the rest who have no hope. Paul also mentioned to the Ephesian church that uh, before they came to Christ, they were having no hope and without God in the world. There's so many people who don't know Christ, who have no true hope. And if you're honest with yourself and you don't know Christ, you will recognize uh, that you really have no genuine hope after the grave. I've had, uh, uh, as an under-shepherd, many opportunities to conduct funerals, uh, most of them for believers. I've done some for non-believers. And the difference is those who don't know Christ have no hope at all. And they grieve bitterly. If you don't know Christ, you know what I'm talking about. If you've lost a loved one who's not saved, you really have no genuine hope you will ever, ever see them again. Now, you may have hope based on your feelings, but that's not based on morality, and you know that. You know that they're gone. So how can anyone who has no hope find true hope? Well, today we're going to look at, on this Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, uh, at the very end of the book, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. Now, in this book of Matthew, King Jesus has come to his own. Those who were sitting in darkness, in the shadow of death, in 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 the context of their sins... And with his teaching, he has confronted their wrong thinking. He has exposed their sin and he has revealed himself 
as the Christ, the King, the Son of God, the only Savior. And he has called upon them to repent and believe the gospel, to believe in him for salvation. But the Jews and their leaders had rejected Jesus. And indeed, Jesus had been tried by the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin, being found guilty of declaring himself to be God, which he truly is. And at the request of the Jewish people who chose a murderer to, uh, or a robber murderer to be released over Jesus, uh, the coward, Pilate, self-centered uh, politician, wicked man, delivered Jesus over to be crucified. And after being mocked by the Roman cohort, Jesus was led in a shameful procession to Golgotha. That means the place of the skull. It's ultimately where we get our word Calvary. And it's at this point Jesus was nailed to a cross and crucified as many onlookers mocked. Now Jesus had been put on the cross sometime around 9 a.m. And at around 12 noon, darkness fell upon the land. And that darkness was there until 3 p.m. And during this three-hour period of darkness, Jesus Christ hung on the cross and all of our wickedness and sin was placed upon him. He was separated from the Father for the first time in eternity. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God became sin for us. He bore our sins. The scripture says he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf or to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. During that time, he was receiving the cup of God's wrath that we deserve for sin, our sin. The sinless, spotless lamb of God taking on the sin of the world. You see, friends, the wages of sin is death. That is what God requires. And if we bear our own sin after we die physically, we will die the second death, being eternally separated in punishment forever. But Jesus came to die for our sins in your and my place. And on the cross, he bore our sins in his body. And on that day, evil had its way, yet God was sovereign over it and had predetermined it. And Jesus willingly offered himself up to do the Father's will which was to die for us. Now, having accomplished the bearing of our sins in his body, he said in John 19, it is finished. The work of salvation was done. All that was left for was him to yield himself over to death. We see in chapter 27 of Matthew, verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Jesus died for our sins. The work was finished. Jesus Christ paid it all. And here we have the culmination of all that the book of Matthew was leading up to. Matthew 1.21, And she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. God is such a loving and gracious God that he would send his only son to die for our sins. And Jesus loves us so much that he would willingly come and die for us to offer himself a sacrifice, to be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so after Jesus had died, God supernaturally tore the veil of the temple from top to bottom, symbolically revealing the way to a holy God had been completed through the death of Christ. And then he was buried and placed in the tomb 
And it's at this point we come to our passage today on Easter Sunday where we will look at Matthew's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we will see how we can have true hope. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and come and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his garment was his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. And quickly go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report to his, to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and take my, take, take word to my brethren and to leave for Galilee and there they shall see me. So how can we find true hope in a hopeless world? It's a hopeless world out there. Some of you are in a hopeless state right now. Well, first of all, we need to listen to God's testimony concerning his son Jesus and believe. Notice the women were on their way to the tomb and an angel descended from heaven and the earth quaked and the stone had been rolled away and this angel sits on it and the guards become like dead men. Again, back to verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the grave and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Matthew makes it clear concerning the timing. He says, after the Sabbath. Now the Jewish day, that would be Saturday, the Jewish day ends at sundown around 6 p.m. So this means sometime after Saturday night at 6 p.m., but notice Matthew gives us more information. He says, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week. That would be Sunday. So Matthew is speaking about the time around dawn on Sunday morning. And what happens? Matthew says, middle of verse 1, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. These women were followers of Jesus from Galilee. They had ministered to Jesus and had been with many other women looking upon the crucifixion. Matthew 27, 55, and 56. These women were also witnesses to Jesus being put in the tomb. Matthew 27, verse 61. 
And as you might know, Mary Magdalene was a woman who had Jesus, in whom Jesus had cast out seven demons, Luke chapter 8. She was a devoted follower of Christ. And the other Mary had been identified earlier in chapter 27, verse 56, and Mark 15, as the mother of the apostle James. Not James of James and John, but the other James. So we have the two Marys mentioned again coming here to the tomb. Now in the other Gospels, we have uh, information that there were other women that came also. And then we also see the reason why they came. Turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early, very, very, very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And then Luke chapter 23, turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 55. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed after and saw the tomb and how the body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. This is Luke uh, 24, 1 now. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. Which they prepared. So we have devoted followers of Jesus, uh, yet those who did not truly yet understand the full ramifications of his death and thus resurrection. They didn't truly understand that he would rise on the third day. And you say, how do you know that? Well, they were bringing spices, and spices were used to mask the stench of a dead body. <clears throat> you see, a body would start to decay around the third or fourth day. And obviously, they, fully, they did not fully understand that he would rise from the dead on the third day. They were simply devoted to Jesus, and they loved him, and they wanted to care for his body. So our yes. Back to Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And notice, Matthew wants us to take a look at something. He says, behold, something is happening here. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. It had already happened. That was a, The tense is it's already happened. And then we have an explanation for an angel of the Lord and literally had descended. It's already happened from heaven and had come literally and had rolled away the stone and was continually, habitually in the tent in the Greek sitting uh, in the past upon it. So we have an angel of the Lord, which speaks of a messenger of the Lord, i.e. an angel. That is an angel. Well, what are angels? They are created spiritual beings. Hebrews 1.14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So when the angel came down from heaven, God brought about an earthquake at the same time. And what does it say this angel did? For an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone. He had rolled away the stone and sat 
upon it. Now, it's pretty well understood, historically speaking, that in Jesus' day, tombs would have large uh, stones, disc-type rolled stones that would roll in front of there, and they could roll it out and roll it back. It's not a round ball, more like a disc. And these stones would take many people to move, depending on the size of the tomb. And here we see supernatural intervention of the angel rolling away the stone and then sitting upon it. How, uh, it's pretty amazing. So the angel rolls the stone away and sitting there, waiting there for to do God's do, work for the ladies to come. Isn't that neat? And it says, talks about the appearance of the angel was like lightning or light flashes, literally. And we have a statement, and his garment was as white as snow. We remember when Jesus was transfigured, uh, Mark chapter 9, his garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no longer on earth could whiten them. The white garment speaks of purity and sinlessness. These are holy angels, and Jesus Christ, obviously not an angel, but the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So then we have a holy angel moving the stone and sitting upon it. And what happens next? And verse 4, the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Here we have the Roman guards mentioned back in chapter 27, those guards in which the religious leaders wanted to guard the tomb and seal it to prevent the disciples from stealing Jesus and proclaiming that he rose from the dead. Yes, but what would happen? Obviously, Jesus would rise from the dead. His body wouldn't be stolen. He would actually rise. And so these guards shook for fear because of the angel, and then they became like dead men. What are dead men like? They don't move. They're lying on the ground, lifeless. Now notice the angel doesn't say, oh guards, listen up. He talks to the ladies, verse 6, verse 5, excuse me. And the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. Here you have a ministering servant doing what God had called him to do, ministering to those who inherit salvation. Come and see the place where he was lying. He's not here. He has risen. He has risen. Now let me fill you in a little bit here because there's more pieces to what happens here in the other Gospels. Otherwise we might get confused because each writer is inspired by the Spirit writing from a different perspective, from the intent that God wants us to understand. So in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, we see the women approach the tomb, and we don't have record that recorded in Matthew. And they're wondering who's going to roll away the stone for them. It's a big stone. Who's going to roll it away for them? They've got the spices. They want to anoint his body. And when they get there, they see the stone is already rolled away. Gospel of Luke chapter 1, chapter 24, verses 1 to 4 informs us that they peered in the tomb and didn't see the body of Jesus and were perplexed. Now, in the Gospel of John, we have another portion or account that is not recorded in the Synoptic Gospels, the other Gospels, concerning Mary Magdalene. Apparently, at this point, when they were perplexed, Mary took off to go tell the disciples. Turn to John chapter 20. Verse 1, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb, 
while it was still dark, and she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran, here she, she turns the other direction. She ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So most likely Mary had run two miles to Bethany, where Peter and John were, most, were at most likely. And then we have the account of Peter and John running back the other way. In John chapter 20, verse 3, Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb, and the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. So then it's during this time when Mary Magdalene had run away to tell the disciples and they were running back. During this time, we have the account of what we see in the book of Matthew. And notice the women enter the tomb and the angel addresses them and comforts the women, declaring that Jesus, who had been crucified, had risen from the dead. Again, back Matthew 28, verse 5. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he was lying. The angel tells the women, don't be afraid. I know who you're looking for. Don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus who's been crucified. And notice, the angel didn't tell the guards anything, not to be afraid. They, they don't know Jesus. They're on the ground like dead men. They're not believers. But the ladies, or these ladies, are followers of Christ. And he says, I know you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. And we need to see this. Jesus was crucified. He was put to death by the hands of godless men on the cruel Roman cross. Indeed, Peter, when preaching to the Jews at Pentecost, says this in Acts chapter 2, 36. Therefore, let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Paul told the Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified. Crucified. So the angel says, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. Notice he continues, he is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. It's tremendous. Jesus was not in the tomb. Why? Someone steal his body? Nope. He's not in the tomb, for he has risen, just as he said. Just as he said would happen, he did it. He has risen. Indeed, folks, Jesus Christ had declared many times that he would die and be raised from the dead on the third day. Look back in Matthew chapter 20. Look back for a second, Matthew chapter 20. Just as he said, just as he said. Matthew 20, verse um, 17. And as Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify 
him. He's told him just as he said. And on the third day, he will be raised up. You're looking for Jesus. He's not here. For he is risen just as he said. Just as he said. Tremendous reality. And so here we have the angel then to, invites the women to come look. Come and see. Middle End of verse 6. Come see the place where he was lying. See. Come and look. Look. Obviously this tomb was quite large. Now some of you might be tempted to think that the angel rolled away the stone earlier so that Jesus could get out of the tomb. That's, there's nothing farther from reality. That's not true. The angel rolled away the stone so that the women, the disciples, as we'll see in a moment, could come and look and see that Jesus was not there. As we know, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, is in a glorified body. And we know later from Scripture, he's able to walk through walls and appear at will. God, the Son, in human flesh, eternally the God-man. So we have the wonderful reality and the facts that Jesus, who was crucified, he died, you saw it, he was crucified, that he has risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. But why would Jesus need to die? And why would Jesus need to then rise from the dead? Why was Jesus crucified? Why would he have to go to the cross? Why? Couldn't God have done it some other way? Why did he need to do that? Scripture reveals that Jesus was nailed to a cross and crucified, and as he hung on the cross, all of our wickedness and sin was placed upon him. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God became sin for us. As I mentioned it before, he who knew no sin became sin on our, on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He received the cup of God's wrath that each and every one of us deserved. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God, while being crucified, took on the sin of the world, and he died for our sins. As Romans 4.25 says, he was delivered up because of our transgressions. It's our sin. You see, we have a problem. We all have a problem. You see, man's problem is sin, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not even one. Man's problem is sin. That's my problem. That's your problem. And God is a holy God and a righteous God, and he cannot let sin go by. You cannot have fellowship with God in your sins. Your sins separate you from God. The wages of sin is death, physical death, but spiritual death, separation from God, and then eternal punishment, the second death, if you don't have your sins taken care of. But God is a gracious God. He's a merciful God, a loving God, who would not leave one human being in their sins. The offer of salvation is available to all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Titus writes, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Not that all are saved, but the offer is available to every single person. You see, God predetermined to send his son to allow him to be delivered up by the hands of godless men, to be crucified, to put to death, to bear our sin. In 1 Corinthians, we see that 
Paul says, for I delivered, 15, verse 3, I delivered to you the first importance of what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. We know from the book of Isaiah that uh, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. Jesus Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross. And if we, as we'll see in a moment, repent of our sin, turning to Jesus Christ, placing our faith in him, we will receive the forgiveness of sins. You see, in Christ, Paul would write, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 1.7. Peter would write, and he himself, 1 Peter 2.24, bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. Paul writes to the Galatians, talks about Jesus, the Lord Jesus, who gave himself for our sins. Sin is the issue. Revelation 1.5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. God requires death for sin, and Jesus died in our place. It's that simple. It's the simplicity of the gospel. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God bore our sins in our place. He paid the full price so that we could be forgiven. And it is through this substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ that we have our sins taken away. As John the Baptist would say, as he pointed to Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Each and every one of us need our sin removed or we will experience the eternal consequences of the second death. But God is gracious and he sent his son in our place. And if you're willing to turn to Jesus, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we'll see in a moment, believe that he died and rose from the dead, he'll save you from your sins. He'll be forgiven. The consequence of your sins will be erased, at least the eternal consequence and you'll be forgiven. You have a relationship with the living God. So yes, we understand that Jesus needed to be crucified and he needed to die for our sins. He was delivered up for our justification, but why would he need to rise from the dead? The Apostle Paul begins to share this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He shares it in chapter 15, verse 1. Let's turn there, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and which you also stand, by which you're also saved. If you hold fast to the, to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, this is the gospel, for I delivered to you as of first importance also what I received, what I received also, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried 
and that he was raised from the dead, raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The resurrection is mandatory, as we're going to see. He was raised from the dead according to the scriptures on the third day. It's absolutely crucial. As we'll see, Paul would make the case later on in 1 Corinthians 15 that if he wasn't raised from the dead, then we're all still in our sins. We're all still in our sins. Look down a little farther, 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul is making the hypothetical case that if the dead are not raised, then Christ isn't raised and your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Look at verse uh, 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Now keep your finger there as we look at some other passages. Because it is crucial that we understand the importance of the resurrection. The resurrection, first of all, was a declaration of the deity of Christ. That he was God also. Romans chapter 1. Verse 4, speaking of Jesus Christ, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. You see, his resurrection demonstrated he was the Son of God, God the Son. And the resurrection was not only a declaration of his deity, it also revealed his sinlessness. That he was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God that the grave could not hold him. Acts chapter 2. Death could not hold him. Acts chapter 2, verse 24, And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. You see, death only has power over you if you have sinned and your sins are not taken care of. But Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, paid the penalty for our sins, and death could not hold him. The resurrection also declares proof that Jesus Christ is the judge, that he's the judge. We don't hear much of that in our Gospels these days, but we need to share with people as God opens the doors that there is a judgment for sin. Jesus is the judge, but yet that same judge died for our sins. Acts chapter 17, verse 30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through the man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. It's proof that Jesus is the judge. It's proof that all will have to repent, that all must repent. Romans chapter 4, I already mentioned this at the end of chapter 4. That he was delivered up for our transgressions, but he was raised because of our justification. You see, Jesus not being held by death then proves that God accepted his sacrifice. And God could then say, yes, in Christ you are righteous because of the blood of Christ. He was raised for our justification. Folks, the resurrection also affirms Everything that God had promised and said in the Old Testament, that it was true. Everything that Jesus promised. Turn to Acts chapter 13 and we see this in Acts chapter 13. Now Paul is at the synagogue in Antioch in verse 16. This is a great portion here. 
And Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, and he said, Acts chapter 13, verse 16, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. And for a period of about 40 years, he put them, he put up with them in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance. All of us, which took about, all of which took about 450 years. And after these things, he gave judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the offspring of this man, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, according to the promise. And after John proclaimed claimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while Jesus, excuse me, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, "Why do you suppose that I am? Who do you suppose? What do you suppose that I am? I am not He." But behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, those of, and those among you who fear God, to us those, the word of this salvation is sent out. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no guilt, uh, no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, notice it's all that was written concerning him. He says here, they took, down, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up from come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus. His promises were fulfilled in raising up Jesus. And specifically here, as it is written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. It proved that he was the son of God. And as to this fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, Thou wilt not allow the, thy holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he served the purpose of God, his own generation fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and, went under, and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay, therefore let it be known to you, brethren, 
that through him the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Everything that God said about Jesus, he fulfilled. Every promise was fulfilled. And he raised him from the dead. It was a proof of everything being exactly as he had promised. Folks, the resurrection means everything because it affirms everything Jesus said and affirms everything from Scripture that was said about him. That he is both Lord and Christ and that he gave himself up as an acceptable sacrifice for our sins. It's crucial and Scripture reveals it's mandatory that we believe it to be saved. Romans chapter 10, but what does it say? Verse 8, the word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so we have the reality that if you don't believe he's raised from the dead, your faith's worthless. As Paul would say, you're still in your sins. Christ is not raised. And therefore, those who have fallen asleep have perished. 1 Corinthians 15. But look back at 1 Corinthians 15 again, where I had you there. The resurrection is everything. Notice he says in verse 19, If we have hoped in Christ for this life only, we are of all men to be pitied. But there's good news. He's truly risen. Verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. The resurrection means everything, brothers and sisters. What a contrast. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. So how are we to respond? How are we to respond to the reality that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead? Well, for those of you who are not saved... God calls upon you to repent of your sin, to turn to Jesus Christ, to believe and understand what he says about you, that you're a sinner and that you need salvation, and that salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. Believe that he died for your sins, paid the full penalty, and rose from the dead. Call out to him. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Luke chapter 24, Jesus said that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed. Repentance is a change of mind. I'm a sinner. I need salvation. I believe in Jesus. He's the Savior. I'm going to turn to him. I can't get free from my sin, but I'm going to turn to Jesus and he will save me. Each and every one of us are sinners and God has declared that he will judge through the man Jesus Christ. And there's a terrifying expectation of judgment, but yet Jesus Christ took that upon himself. And he died for our sins and rose from the dead. Tremendous reality. Our sins are taken care of. So you have a choice. Trust and believe in a loving God or be judged by the same loving God. You have a choice. Earlier as I was watching cars go by, you know, when this lockdown and everything, but we come out here and share Watching cars go by, people doing their thing on Sunday, not caring at all. It's Easter Sunday, doing their thing. The reality is, you have a choice. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Reject him and be judged. And if you say, and if you trust in Christ, you will have eternal life and you will have hope beyond this life. True, genuine hope. Well, what about us as believers? How should we respond to this? Let's go back to our passage in Matthew chapter 28. 
And let's see how the ladies responded. Matthew 28. And I'm going to back up a little bit just to come right into where we were. Verse 5, And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he was lying. Come and see. Then look at verse 7. And going and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. The angel commands the women to come in and see and then to go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Come and take a look and then go and tell. Go and tell. And then notice what he says in the middle of verse 7. Behold, take a look. He is going before you into, into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Tremendous. There savior was dead and now he's alive so what do these ladies do what do they do verse 8 and they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples they obeyed you see faith brings about obedience by the way when you believe what god says it, it brings about obedience these women are running evidently to tell the disciples peter and john are running the other way right to parents uh john 20 and it's during this time we also have the Lord appearing to Mary Magdalene, the woman in whom seven demons had been cast out. You can look in the other Gospels. So these other women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. It's a fearful thing to see an angelic being. But it's a joyful thing to know that your Savior has risen from the dead. They believed the truth. They believed it and they were to go report it. So they ran to report it to his disciples, and that would be about two miles away. Not only were they joyful, they were obedient. And notice within this great joy and obedience, we'll see they all show worship. Look at verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. This is amazing. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And I find this amazing. When you study this, this term greeted them as a common greeting. You could almost translate it, hello or hi. It's fascinating. They're running in obedience to God's commands through the angel, and Jesus meets them and says, hi. It's quite amazing. Now, why would Jesus be so casual in his greeting to these ladies? Well, folks, Jesus, the Jesus they knew before he was crucified is the same Jesus that rose from the dead. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and yes, forever. He's the same. He didn't change. He's the same Jesus. He's the same Jesus. And so what a gracious God who has risen from the dead. He's in a glorified body, yet he is the same Jesus they knew before. And he says, hello. Hello. Yes, Jesus is God. And as we'll see in a moment, he is worthy of our worship. But he's also gracious to condescend to our level to relate to us. He knew them and they knew him. And he says hello. So what happens at this point? Notice their response. Do they give him a high five and say hi? No. And Jesus met them and greeted them and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Folks, after this greeting, they worshipped the Lord Jesus. 
They took hold of his feet and worshipped him. He's truly God. He's truly God. God who took on human flesh. They had seen him in his humanity. Now they're seeing him very clearly in his glorified state. They took hold of him. Now forever the God-man. Jesus Christ rose bodily. And they're holding his feet. He's got feet. They're holding his feet. They worshipped him. And only God is worthy of worship. Worship God. Worship God. So what's the minimal response that we believers should have for a risen Savior, Jesus Christ? It's worship. Minimal response. We should be praising him, honoring him, glorifying him, and as we'll see, obeying him. And notice how Jesus responds to their worship. Verse 10, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they shall see me. He says, my brethren. He's forever the God-man. Take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. Tell them to go to Galilee, and I'm going to meet them there. They shall see me there. So Jesus comforts and commands them to declare this resurrection truth to his disciples. He commands them to do the same thing the angel commanded him to do them to do. Tell the disciples to go to Galilee. They shall see him there. What an amazing account. The angel descended from heaven, an earthquake, the stone rolled away, the angel sitting atop, the guards shaking in fear, falling down as dead men, the guards. We have the women coming to the tomb, then the angel revealing to the women, seeking to anoint Jesus. He is not there, but he has risen. The angel then commanding the women to go quickly and tell his disciples, and they obey with great joy. And, and, and uh, on the way, they meet Jesus. He says, hi. And then they worship him, the Lord who is truly risen. Then he commands them to go tell his disciples to, to, that he'll meet them in Galilee. What a wonderful, true story. He is risen. He is risen indeed. As I began today, I talked about hope. The reality is, if you don't know Christ, if you're still in your sins, you have no hope. You're without God. And these times we're going through have heightened the reality of the potential of death, yet the death rate for everyone is one per person. You will die if the Lord does not come. If you're a believer, he might take you, but otherwise you're going to die. We're all going to die. The question is, what happens when you die? You see, if you have not had your sins forgiven, you will die in your sins. And God, who is righteous, will judge you through his son Jesus for your sin. And you will experience the second death, separation from God forever and eternal punishment, rejecting Christ. And yet, you can be saved today if you turn to Jesus, the God who paid the full penalty for your sins. He died for your sins. You turn to him, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you will have your sins forgiven. And you will have eternal life. Well, what about us, brothers and sisters, who already know these truths and have believed them and believe them now? We need to remember our former purification from sins. We need to remember what Jesus did to bring about our forgiveness. He died for our sins. 
And we need to remember that Jesus not only died for our sin, he rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death. And in Christ, we have life now and we will have eternal life. We too will be raised because Jesus was raised. And this should lead us to praise him, to obey him, and to worship him. Lord God, you are so good. You're so gracious. We praise you and thank you for what you've done. Thank you for for dying for my sins. John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I do. She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus, and that he died for our sins, and that he rose from the dead, and that in him we have forgiveness of sins. Lord, I I just pray we would remember how sinful we are and were and what you have saved us from, and we would thank you and praise you and honor you and glorify you for your son, Jesus. And Father, I pray we would obey you, that we would be those about your business, trusting and obeying, and that we would worship you and praise you for your son, Jesus, because he has risen from the dead. He has finished the work of salvation. He has paid it all. So we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.